So it's a real pleasure and honor to to sit with you here in this hall. I'm I'm a little bit on retreat myself, half half, but I don't sit here. It's too much sitting in my workplace. <laughs> it's really lovely to be in this hall and really sense the, the silence and the, yeah, somehow having a real sense of your dedication, of your commitment to the practice. It's such a beautiful thing to do, what we are doing here. And also such a courageous thing to do. <coughs> An unusual thing to do, you know, spending time like this. Exploring, inquiring, looking, questioning. <coughs> really looking deeply in what it means to be alive, to be a human. Something very precious. <clears throat> I really somehow want to express my gratitude that you're doing this. Thank you. And also speaking and meeting some of you, it's really a delight to hear what, what you are discovering, you know, your explorations. You know, it can be can be really very, actually very inspirational for me to just listen, you know, your reflections on your practice, what you discovered, you know, where you struggle. You know, a lot of discoveries are made and, yeah, so wonderful and thank you for sharing it with me. <coughs> So there is a lot of clarity in this hall, there is a lot of opening, joy, steadfastness, delight, determination. And then also from time to time this question might arise, you know, something along the lines, what I'm, what I'm doing here, you know? What was I thinking, you know? Do you have this sometimes? God, is another two weeks and a half or another three days for some of us. And this could be just an expression of doubt, and this, uh, this is a very, per, you know, can be very convincing hindrance, you know. And if we don't see what it is, <coughs> it is, uh, you know, just one of the hindrances, um, one of these difficult dynamics are operating right now, doubt, it will lure, lure us, seduce us into its particular way of perceiving our practice, where we are in the practice, what it is about, where I should be, or that it isn't working, or that I, I can't do this, and this is anyway all nonsense and so forth. You know, These are all expressions of doubt, of this hindrance of doubt. And sometimes we gain already some freedom by simply recognizing it. Oh, this is just doubt operating right now. This is where I'm in. So no need to identify it. We just ride the wave. And I'm not going to speak about doubt. <laughs> just want to mention it. So there is this question of what I'm doing here. No. Because this also can be a very valid and very important question. 
You know, and some, sometimes I hear um, people asking this question out of a particular, uh, out of a particular background, out of a particular text context. You know, more of the sense: My God, the world is burning. The world is burning. There's so much to do. There's so much urgency. You know, there's so much I want to attend to. I want to address what I'm doing here. Slightly different connotation. You know, am I not just like self-indulgent? No. I should be involved. I should help. I should, you know, there's so much to do. You know, on the personal level and more on the collective level. And it looks like it's getting worse, you know. So what are we doing here? You know, in the last in the last years, you know, it seems like, you know, that the divisions divisions in our societies have shown themselves more clearly. There were many news and events in the last years in the UK, in Europe, and the rest of the world. You know, which was somehow a little bit like a, a way of heightening our sense of uncertainty, you know, concerns, and even sometimes fear about the future. A refugee crisis. Millions and millions and millions of people leaving their homes because it's not safe to stay there. Climate change. Now, instability in many regions of the world and the disruption they bring. So that actually even we in the, in the rich West feel, start to feel the impact. You know, we are, can be so... Um, in our cotton, uh, cottoned off, it's maybe not the right word, but hope you know what, what I mean. And we might start to feel less sheltered. You know, and all feels so complex. You know, it's so very, very complex, so multi-layered. And there is this Again, there's showing, there is, there is this uh, showing more and more, I think, you know, and, and, you, know, and you can disagree, showing the pol more and more the polarization, the divisiveness. You know, a lot of hate and, 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 and anger fending, wending itself, for example, in xenophobic attack or sexism, racism, nationalism and other isms of your choosing. You know, it's like the, 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 the ugly face, the ugly face of, uh, of othering, of making other, the pathology of making other is showing itself. 
You know, and when I say this, of course, there's also a lot of beauty. It's not that I, you know, it's not that I want, want to say at all. It's all doom and gloom. But this is part of our reality. You know, and we could say, God, I'm coming on retreat to get away from this. You know, now she is speaking about that. Thank you very much. Where's the door? You know, just had a little bit of whatever, calm and, you know, now this... And this is fair enough, absolutely. And this is big part on being on retreat is actually to get away. This is some of the attractions to get away actually from the maelstrom of day-to-day life. To really, really connect with something we 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 hold dear, you know, to connect with our depths, you know, to actually enter a very supportive environment, you know, practicing with others, being supported by their presence and their practice, and supporting them. And <clears throat> what is going on out there, if you speak, speak in these terms of out there, is also part of our reality. It's part of our reality here. We are embedded in a larger world with varying degrees of conflict and struggle and challenges and problems. And once we leave here, you know, once we, we will find ourselves back in it. And even when we are on retreat, we still will feel the impact. We still will be influenced, shaped by it in so many ways. It's part of our truth that there is a lot of hate and anger. It's part of our truth that there's a lot of pain, that there's a lot of challenge, a lot of suffering, and an ongoing wounding and hurting on all sides of these divisions. So how can we ask these questions? What I'm doing here not in a doubtful way, but in a way that actually the looking at it, you know, looking at our practice in this in this way actually doesn't deflate us, you know, as a doubtful question does. You know, a doubtful question, a question from doubt will deflate us, will take the enthusiasm out of it. You know, we go a little bit like, <sighs> but can we actually ask this question that it gives us energy? You know, that it gives us, that it strengthens our commitment, our determination, our love for the practice. So one way of hearing this question, maybe something along the following line. You know, what I'm doing here. What I can hear when I ask myself this question or when I hear the question by one of you is actually what I hear is care. You know, I care. I care deeply. I care deeply about myself, about those around me, about those that suffer maybe. I care and how can I be part of the healing? How can my practice be part of the healing? K 
can and how can I or can my practice offer me transformative, creative, curative responses rather than leaving me in these well-known stuck places, you know, in these endless repeating patterns, uh, you know, of my old reactions that actually when you look closely, when you really pay attention, just perpetuate the old, so painful, so dysfunctional. How can my practice support me that I don't succumb to fear, dependency, despair, or can't care? It's all too much. Leave me alone. And I would like to explore this a little bit today. <laughs> and the emphasis is on a little, little bit. No. Look a little bit shortly at different aspects, and I'm really aware that I'm leaving a lot out. It's not at all extensive. It's some reflections, you know, looking actually at some of the specific of the practices we are doing here. And it's like a gentle pointer, it's not like an in depth um, inquiry. It's just out. Oh, just consider, just consider. Food for thought, food for thought. So some, some of you, will, their main practice will be something along the lines of calming, you know, the calming qualities of the practice, samadhi practices, concentration practices. And this is really, again, <coughs> Just a point, allowing ourselves to really plunge into the spacious depths of, 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 of this being. You know, and to really also have the, get the nourishments, allow ourselves to, to experience the nourishments, the well-being that arises from tuning into this dimension of our, of our, of our existence. Now, and when we, we find that when we access this quality of, of, of meditative calm, these levels, levels of meditative absorption, we ex experience and we can enjoy an ever-increasing sense of spaciousness, openness, an ever-increasing subtlety of consciousness. A profound sense of well-being that is not dependent on sense pleasures. And this can be a real treasure, like a real resource to be able to access this, to be able to draw from this. And with practice, it will become more and more accessible to us. And this is what some of you are exploring <clears throat> and how can we can this um, this practice rather than just like a great way of practice have a great time sitting here you know um, how can it rather than just a great experience you know something I achieved 
um, we don't just hang out there, but that we can also harvest the insights, the understanding these states of calm can bring if we look for them, if we look for them. That we can harvest the particular perceptions, the per particular liberating ways of being that come with them. What do they actually point to? What do they actually point to? And this is, you know, could be a subject for another 10 talks. But again, food for thought. One thing, what, one thing we can discover if we look at these, um, if if we look at these experience, oh, I don't know, don't like the word so much in this context right now. But if you look at this experience in a particular way, what we can discover is that actually any dear held identifications we might have, like with roles, with gender with race, with sexual orientation, with religious belief, with um, political conviction, doesn't make sense anymore. Um, doesn't, uh, doesn't actually, doesn't, they don't arise. No, they don't arise, they can't arise, this identification on these more subtle ways of perception. Does it make sense to you? And I mean, yes, there's some bigger, some knots. <laughs> so this discovery doesn't mean that this identification should, shouldn't arise. Yeah? They have their role to play and they have their importance in our life. And most of us are actually really wounded on this level of our being. And this wounding needs attention but can we also allow that is that in these states of calm we know ourselves differently, we know other differently. Very differently. Again, where this doesn't actually make sense, this way of seeing as here I am, I'm a white, middle class, German, middle aged woman. So often we, we, we can have this wonderful experience and then when we get out of retreat or they fade, we have this very understandable tendency to deny or de dismiss this, these understandings or these things or just reduce them to a nice meditative experience which has actually no effect on my day-to-day -day life. It was really good, it was really good, but now I'm back into real life. It's great to hang out there, but you know, now I'm back into my 9 to 5, 24-7, different life. So can, this, can, can, the, can these dimensions of our being, these depths which we know, which we know deeply, 
inform us in the midst of turmoil, struggle and contraction. You know, knowing even when I'm in the turmoil, the struggle and contraction, this way of perceiving, this way of being is also true. It's also true. And can I bring to whatever level is possible for me, can I bring this knowing and this knowing from the direct experience into the, you know, of the depths of, of my being, into a situation where I find myself caught in the narrative of division, for example. can be so supportive, can be so helpful actually to remember it, to remind ourselves. You know, this knowing which actually takes any energy out of divisions. And again, I'm not saying you should live in, in a sense of oneness 24 hours. It's not what I'm saying. It's like how can, can a deep seeing inform us, you know, so that it actually brings fluidity, fluidity, that it opens something up, that it lessens some of the arising of the, ah, you know, me, you, ah, you know, the division. So that we cannot hold, hold our roles, our, our identifications, that we can hold them actually more lightly. So that actually this understanding can f inform us even when we are sitting in the fire of, of polarization, of divisiveness. So the overall movement of, 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 of this kind of practice is letting go, like of letting go, of relinquishing, of dropping, you know, really disinterest in the pushes and pulls of day-to-day -day life. And as you know, another very important aspect of our practice is cultivation. You know, has elements of letting go, but overall the aspect of uh, cultivation has also a different movement. You know, cultivation, I think, means something along the lines like bringing into being bringing into being. So we bring, we invite, we nourish qualities of the heart like generosity, gratitude, kindness, compassion, joy, equanimity, forgiveness, you know, to name just some of the qualities we, we are cultivating here. And for some of, of you, this is the main practice you are doing. So, so through a clear intention, we bring we bring them into the being. So we do not switch something off, which can be often, associate with often uh, associated with meditation. But we're slowing down in with more calm. We actually use the malleability of the mind and heart to plant, invite deliberately a quality into our being, stepping more into the perception of this that this quality brings. So we really step deliberately into something. 
letting letting the quality inviting the quality to drop into the body uh, into the mind body mind and heart into the cheetah so in the formal practice of meta uh, meta meditation or um, loving kindness and compassion meditation or forgiveness we take particular phrases And with this, we take the mind with this fa thinking faculty, you know, we invite the mind with this f thinking faculty to actually enter the heart. So we use the mind infused with a clear intention expressed in a phrase. To enter the heart rather to leave it. We don't think about loving kindness. We let it resonate. What does it mean for me? How does it resonate in the being? What is the rippling effect of the phrase? Now we turn inwardly. We feel the resonance. We feel the rippling. We're letting the phrases do their um, effect on our being. And we begin to recognize in our experience the liberating, the opening dimensions of these qualities. You know, the space, the openness, the strength, the well-being they bring. So we are bringing certain ways of, one could say, we're bringing certain ways of touching, receiving, holding, seeing life, a situation. We bring this in consciously. It's a very, very, very powerful tool. It's very, very powerful, very nourishing, deeply healing deeply healing, a powerful antidote, you know, traditionally, you know, to Ill, Ill will, anger, hate, and so forth. So we could say with the cultivation, we actually celebrate, celebrate, set what is the best in us, you know, that what is beautiful, the beauty of being human. This is what we are nourishing. Then there is this whole area of recollection where we actually, again, we bring to mind, you know, certain certain aspects of the teaching and traditionally there are certain recollections like the Triple Shem, the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, death, recollection on death can be very powerful, or recollection on virtues, on sila, of our intention of non-harming. And again, it's not in recollection, it's not that we think about, oh yeah, the five precepts, uh, 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 mean, uh, uh. it's like again, we use them to actually let them resonate, let them somehow um, um, sink into our being. 
you know, what does it mean for me? This is then the question, what does it mean? You know, mean, not mean, but what does it mean for me? Non-harming. You know, what is, how is it resonating in me, becoming sensitive to it? Becoming receptive, you know, using this as a deliberately chosen perception. I look at my experience right now through the, from the angle of non-harming. Very powerful, can be very, very powerful. And we can, we can begin to see maybe the pain attached to any movement of, any pain attached to any movement of wanting to harm. There's actually always an ouch coming with a wish or with the impulse to harm. There is a contraction, the ouch preceding the impulse, and there is a discomfort, the pain and the suffering, which very often, I think most times, actually comes when we acted out on the impulse. doesn't actually feel good a short release but actually it doesn't feel good it can be powerful again way of looking at these areas where we cause harm where we are part of of the problem and not as a I should and I mustn't, but really seeing it something which is actually really coming from a depth, from more and more depths of, of, of connection with our wisdom, with our love, with our care. And another big part of practice, I think, is also that we develop, hopefully, the confidence that we don't need to shy away from our unskillful tendencies. No. Knowing that if we are really interested in truth, what is true, we need to have the courage to be honest, honest with ourselves, honest with the situation. And all of us um, ignore parts of ourselves. You know, we all have this parts we rather wouldn't like they were there. You know that. We feel that we are bad, or we feel that we are bad, or undeveloped, or naive, or not good enough. Those parts that do not fit our self-image or the self-image we would like to have. We all have them, and we need to have the courage to bring awareness and consciousness to these parts. So we need to bring consciousness to this so that we start to notice the way in which we side with certain parts of ourselves, including those feelings and issues we are identified with, 
and where we marginalize those that are more hidden, more unacceptable. We need to see our divisiveness in ourselves. No, and we all do it, you know. Again, it's not like you shouldn't do this. We have to bring consciousness to it. You know, we do it so quickly. You know, this movement of um, yeah, polarization. It's like a knee-jerk reaction. And some of you reported, you know, that's just what they see. You know, they contact with another, and the first, the first response is like, mm, you know, the them, how. You know, could say, you know, why? And it's like, wow, this is where I go. So the the other day, just want to sh- share a personal example. The other day, I was taking part in a small action in front of a of a bank to call th- to ask them to divest from fossil fuels. And we had interaction with with the public, and it was a really light-hearted, quite fun event. And of course, there were also people who didn't share our opinion. And there was a father by, and he just said to me, "Actually, I support what they're doing. You know, I support them." And my somatic response immediately was closing down. The other, the wrong one. If only people like him weren't around. So the poor man immediately became my enemy. Immediately. And this was a moment where in a small way actually dehumanized him. I demonized him. I made him the one who was less worth. You know, I've, I was in this, you know, the visit comes with this sense of polarization comes a, t- a narrowing of you, a tunnel view. And he became them. And I observed this moment in myself very clearly. First of all, what was very obvious, it was very painful actually to, to, to experience it. It was painful. And also to see that the fact that it, was, that it uh, arose doesn't mean that I now have to turn against myself, making myself the one who is wrong, bad, hopeless. I'm just one of them. Because this is a movement which can so easily then happen, you know. You know, actually, I shouldn't be sitting here, you know, speaking with you about Dharma. I should stand full of shame in this corner. Again, same polarization happening again, but now directed against myself. It's tricky. It's interesting. You know, we, we, sometimes we need to, to really be honest, not about judging, but to know, to feel. So what I'm actually condemning out there is happening inside here. 
you know, and I bring hopefully more and more consciousness to it. This making conscious, again, as I said, is so very important, not to underestimate it. If we have the courage and we do have the ability and the confidence that we can actually shine a light on this. Because then we can actually respond to it, then we can attend to it. If it goes under the radar, then it becomes dangerous. You know, then we can explore how can my understanding, how can my, my, my ability also of wisdom and compassion actually meet this. And what is unconscious, not integrated, will leak out. It will leak out. It will play out again and again and again. You know, that what is denied, you know, and I find a very great example for this is like, you know, when you ask someone, and I do this, so I don't want to say that I'm better. When you ask someone who is like seething with anger, but they don't say anything, it's all nice, nice. It's all right. And then you say, are you angry? And they say, no, I'm not angry. So but it doesn't leave you anywhere. You know, it doesn't, you can't, you can't actually attend to it. But it seizes out. I was looking for this quote by Joanna Macy, which I didn't find, but it went on, it really touched me when I read it, you know. Uh, Joanna Macy, she, she speaks German, or she reads German, I don't know how well her spoken language is, and she really loves the, the German culture. And she spent a lot of time in her life with, with German activists in, 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 in Germany, and once she was asked, what is it, you know, that you, um, you know, that you are with them, basically, not with us. You know, where you, where you come from. And she said something along the lines. She said, to be in a nation who knows that they were able to do the most dehumanizing acts feels safer than to be in a nation which denies they are not able to do it. And there is some truth in it. It touches me when I'm saying it now. There is some truth in this. That's the danger. And in all this, we can really draw on the very important, some of the very important aspects of mindfulness. So we're recognizing this is happening. We're accepting that this is happening. And also we don't have to identify with it. We don't have to identify with it. So this is happening in this instant with on the street of, of, of totness, dehumanization in me, acceptance. And I actually can't change anything if I don't first accept that it's around. So I'm really stressing the point again and again. And then we see what is happening. And then especially like in this example now, which I just referred to in, in front of the bank, I don't need to identify or create an identity, a self-image, make myself someone because of this particular aspect of my experience. It doesn't mean that I'm this and I'm not that. It doesn't mean that I'm a um, dehumanizing whatever, and I'm not, um, whatever, you know, I'm not a wise, kind person. 
But mindfulness what, what uh, invites us, encourages us, points so that we can actually open up to whatever arises in our experience. We can shine light. We can shine the light of awareness on it. You know, we, we, we don't need to exclude anything. You know, as one teacher said, there are no right or wrong experiences. We can bring even that which is marginalized, which we don't like, we can bring it into our awareness and can start to somehow integrate it that it doesn't run the show under the radar. And this understanding that we do not need to identify doesn't mean that we don't take responsibility to the contrary. I think actually to look at my experience like this, you know, oh, what happened here? How did it arise? You know, actually supports taking responsibility because I can look actually what led to its arising and what is the most skillful way now to attend to it. You know, how can I take the energy out of it? How can I invite something in that is more wholesome, as we do in, cul uh, in cultivation practices? How can I heal this right now? How can the insights of my practice be of help here, right now? So in this context, I just really want to mention it shortly. There is, this, there is a, a whole piece of work in the field of conflict resolution and, 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 and um, yeah, healing in, in war-torn regions after the conflict um, is over. And, and in, in, in this group of work, they have this very ingenious work of looking actually in, in group interactions and relationships um, and relationships in general. You know, they say like in, in, in a group and in relationship, there are different roles or polarities and, and they are in relationship and in tension with each other. And these various um, positions, role, parts, sides can be, can, be, can be perceived as so fixed is so static, you know, belonging to particular individuals, to particular groups. But actually, if we look really close, closer, what we see is that there are actually roles which are shared, that all the roles within a conflict in some way belong to everyone in it. So the roles are not only personal, but actually they appear all over the world. And again, this doesn't mean that, you know, oh yeah, we all do it, and therefore it's fine. But actually what, it ha what happens, again, it brings more fluidity, and they do this amazing work. And, you know, in, in really, 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 uh, um, really, really, really wounded, wounded um, regions of the world, like um, post-war um, Yugoslavia, post-genocide Rwanda, 
And what it brings, as I say, it brings this fluidity, and with this fluidity, often a radical transformation can be happen in a in a in a in a situation which was so stuck and divisive. So we are sharing these roles, and also the perpetrators still have to take responsibilities. They're still accountable. But just as again, just a small example, you know, to to, to say to say how we can look at it in 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 a in a, um, in, a in a concrete example. You know, I can speak about the need um, for openness and freedom towards others. Yeah, you know, it's like we have to listen to each other. We need to be really open with each other. And we need to really care for each other. While dominating the conversation and not listening to anyone. And without awareness of this momentary behavior, I actually can perpetuate on a very small scale the very behavior against which I'm struggling. It's interesting. <laughs> so again, when I'm saying this, you know, it's not like, you know, really important. It's not that I all, you know, to say, okay, we are all... Um, bad or we are all insufficient but I find this fascinating that, oh yeah I'm just doing it wow how can I do this differently can we have actually you know can we speak about this you know what I'm doing here So there is a lot that um, we can actually draw on and so, so, so much more um, than I just really spoke about very shortly about when we, when, when we find ourselves at the receiving end or playing out hate, divisiveness, blame, shame, dehumanizing. You know, and sometimes we, all we can do at the beginning is to know and feel the narrowing of our vision, of our perception. Again, as I said, this tunnel vision. To know that we are stuck now in a very particular way of seeing. And we can use these tools of the cushion, the tools we are um, cultivating here, to invite more skillful responses to open up, to invite different perspectives, to take the energy out, the often very limiting perception. So, so I think that actually a lot of what you are doing here, of what we are doing here, um, can be really important 
in the difficulties we are we are facing as a as a collective and when i first came to uh, to practice i started pra- when i started practicing in india my first teacher this is what he would hammer home you know he would say your practice shows itself off the cushion you know this is not about yourself you know this is this practice needs to be about the welfare of all It has to be for the well-being of all of all sentient beings. You know this traditional phrase. So this connection, you know, this connection I was taught. And coming back to the West, I discovered that this connection, was, which was made so obvious to me, wasn't, um, you know, wasn't actually automatically a major element of one's practice. The bigger picture. You know the pain and the suffering beyond the, the merely personal. It's not per se relevant and important for every one of us, and I really want to respect this. You know, it's not that I want to devalue, devalue this in, in 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 any way. The personal exploration, the personal discovery, is part of the bigger picture. It's important. It's important. But if what I speak about is of any relevance for you, I think we really have to uh, give our our practice consciously this meaning, this wider definition. It just doesn't come. I think it it, it doesn't come automatically with a package. Um, You know, we have to consciously um, perceive and conceive our practice in this way. You know, that okay, how how can this what I'm doing right now? And not again, it's not like a um, thinking about it, but really even connecting it. This is you know, I want this to be part of the of a positive transformation. I want to make this part of a positive transformation. You know, something aligns maybe. And again, really, if this speaks to you, it's not that I say this, this is what you should do. <clears throat> How can I make my practice? Or I want to make my practice, if that's it's part of, 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 of the healing that it's so, so needed. You know, that it will support me to stand up, to speak out, to say stop. So how can our practice allow us to sit in the fire of all our richness and not keep perpetuating that what is causing so much pain? Okay, so I stop here and um, I really w- I wanted to end with playing another Leonard Cohen song. <laughs> But I was too daunted by the technical implications. <laughs> God, you know, like machines. So I, I just really want to share 
the beginning and the end of one of his later songs, which is called Come Healing. Very much um, maybe um, reflecting what I was speaking about. And it starts with, and I love these lines, or gather up the brokenness and bring it to me now. The fragrance of those promises you never dared to vow. Gather up the brokenness, brokenness and bring it to me now. This is what we are doing, hopefully, a lot in our practice, our brokenness, the bigger brokenness. And it ends, towards the ends, it says, or oh, troubled dust concealing an undivided love, the heart beneath is teaching to the broken heart above. Or oh, troubled dust concealing an undivided love, the heart beneath is teaching to the broken heart above. So let's just sit for a moment. patience in listening and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.